Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, it's the New Year return of Jeco for a tasty Serie A dish to put before a king. Also, it turns out the PSG squad of World Cup finalists are beatable. After all, we'll hear how relatively poor old Lance did it. And it's a tale of three strikers in La Liga, my favourite, which is most likely going to the Premier League on loan in this window. Will it be to Arsenal or will it be to Man U? Opening question, though, Nikki and Andy. Um, new year, new thoughts. What are you looking forward to in 2023? I'm looking forward to something very specific this year, Dotton. I'm looking forward to seeing Lucas Perez play for Deportivo La Coruña again because it's, it's just one of the greatest like under-the-radar stories of this post-World Cup period, how this guy who... Deportivo the club of his heart... He's still a good goal scorer in the top flight. He has stepped down from playing for Cadiz in the top flight to play for Depor again for the third time in the third tier in which they are stuck at the moment. And he has paid over half a million of the transfer fee himself because he wants to go there that much. I think it's a wonderful story. So to see him do his stuff and hopefully for them, get them back in the the top two divisions because getting out of the third tier in Spain where it's all sort of multi-tiered and regionalised is is complicated. I just got to wish him all the best with that. And I just to see someone do something with their, their heart like that is it's just quite wonderful. Isn't it the January news we all need? Well, you say that. That's gone under the radar, Nikki. What's happening in the um, in Serie A is more over the radar, above the radar. We can see the action there. I imagine you're looking forward to how that plays itself out this year. Yeah, I mean that's. I feel like I can't. I can't top that one. I'm, I'm thinking about how obviously all of us would give up our salary to be here right now. And and did, no, don't, I don't mean that. Uh, need to get paid. Got gas bills to pay. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, it is, yeah, I, honestly, mine's mine's a bit of a sort of obvious one. My my, what I'm looking forward to in 2023. I just really, really want to see how this Serie A season's going to play out. It's it's been particular, I think even amongst all of European football, where obviously everything got interrupted for the World Cup, I think it's felt somehow a little bit sharper 
in Italy because because Italy weren't there. And of course, lots of Serie A players were there, but Italy weren't there. And so Italian football has just had this void for two months. And what there was right before that void was a really extraordinary story unfolding. You had Napoli who haven't won the title since Diego Maradona, since 1990. Not just top of the league, but eight points clear at the top of the league going into the winter break and unbeaten on a run of 11 consecutive wins and and 37 goals scored in 15 games and just really extraordinary football with certain players who capture my heart at least in, in my imagination um, in Kvarat Scalia and, and Victor Osman particularly although there's plenty more around them who've also been sort of spectacular from from Jelinski in midfield to Raspadori and everything he's done off the bench and even Simeone and his goals in the Champions League all of these stories that go into it I, I just I really want to see where that story is going to go and um and so for me the thing I'm most looking forward to in 2023 right now perhaps I'm a prisoner of the moment Dutton but I I, I want to see where this Serie <laughs> title race is going of course and I suppose the cherry on top of the cake was the meet between Napoli unbeaten Napoli and Inter on the resumption of Serie A after their winter break yeah, well, we were talking about this just before we came on, weren't we? Like, there was this very sort of specifically strange um, day of scheduling in Serie A to, to welcome the league back. Um, it's quite common in Italy, um, or it has been for a few years, that they come back with this really loaded day of fixtures. They like to come back on Epiphany, which is 6th of January. It's a Christian feast holiday and it's a, a national holiday in Italy. And and what's been recently traditional is that Serie A resumes after the winter break on that day. And because it's a holiday, you can schedule games all through the day. You can start at lunchtime, you can go through to the evening and, and everyone gets to partake in that. Now, they didn't have, um, well, they did have the option. But they, they didn't want to do that this year because Epiphany falls on a Friday, which is um, too close to the weekend. If you did it then, then you wouldn't get a weekend round in because the calendar's already condensed from the World Cup. They didn't want to lose the weekend round. And so rather than do some sort of what would seem to me an obvious compromise, like have an evening round on Wednesday and, and then do the all day thing on the weekend, Serie A just went, nah, we're going to do an all day round in the middle of the week on a work day when everyone's <laughs> at their jobs. Um, and, and and so that's how Serie A resumed was with games um, starting at two hour intervals. So you have 10 games, a full slate of games starting in pairs every two hours. So if you were watching... Uh, on telly that there's literally no break you 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 watch the end of a game and immediately the next game is starting so it was a full day a feast um even though it wasn't an epiphany yet a, a, a feast of football and it all built up to and there were some great games earlier in the day but it all builds up to inter against napoli which is such a sort of classic feeling fixture in in a bunch of different directions i mean you've got the fact that Luciano Spalletti was previously Inter manager, he's still very popular at Inter for one of the sort of many subplots. But the big thing is you've got the team who were in Inter champions two seasons ago, who were fifth going into the winter break. They were already 11 points behind Napoli. They haven't had the strongest start to the season, but who have beaten some teams even so, who beat Barcelona in the Champions League, who you know are capable of giving anyone, including Napoli, a really good game on their day. And who, on top of that, actually have a really strong recent record against Napoli. I think they hadn't lost any of their previous six games against Napoli. But more to the point, last season, Napoli also started really well last season. I think people forget this a little bit. Napoli were unbeaten in 12 games to start last season. And then they ran into Inter at San Siro and they lost. And the wheels came off in the winter and Napoli's title race a title a challenge fell away. Deja vu all over well, again. circumstances are different this time around. They also have a big lead at the top of the table, which they didn't have last time. So even if this goes wrong, they can maybe withstand it. Also, what happened last year was in that loss to Inter, Victor Osman gets injured. Other injuries pile up for them through the winter and that becomes a big part of the story. So those things didn't happen this time around. But they did lose. They did lose to Inter again. And so we are asking that question, are we about to see the same story unfold all over again? Is Napoli going to suffer that traditional, I suppose, Neapolitan fate of getting too excited too soon? This is the perceived trait, I should say, of, of them as a football team and and not being able to follow it through all the way to a title. The result is the result, Nicky. But... Um... You know, Inter were a lot better than them, I thought. Mm. I mean, Inter, have, as you said, have played some 
difficult opponents very well this season. It, it felt like um, a sort of extension to the way they played at home against Barcelona, where they defended really smartly, but there was an extra attacking angle to it. I thought they generally created the better chances as well. And I think for a lot of neutrals who want to go on and uh, and, and see Napoli do their stuff. Napoli felt really flat to me. Like, they they never really had into under the pump, and I just I, I don't I don't know. Is 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 does it seem oversimplistic to say? And we'll only know, I suppose, the real answer to this if we go on for a couple of weeks. It felt like the winter break came at the wrong time for them because, as you said, they were was so it, incredibly fluent before then. And was it a winter break or was it a World Cup break? I know it's Italy, a, bit, a bit of both. Italy weren't in the World Cup, but arguably it's a World Cup break for a lot of the players in Serie A. Yeah, I, I think I, I've i really sort of been fascinated to see how every team comes back from from the um, the World Cup break. As, <laughs> I'm, I think it's now on this podcast, it's certainly on another podcast. As an Arsenal fan, I've been anxious about how Arsenal are going to do coming back from the World Cup break, and that's gone all right. But I, I think this sort of, simply the amount of time in this one um, it has been a factor in my mind that I don't feel like has always been as talked about elsewhere. And the thing that's been really Vivid. It's like separate seasons, isn't it? Yeah. Seven weeks is a long time. Yeah, it's, it's if you remember in Italy, with the COVID pandemic when it arrived, Lazio were second in the table before the COVID pandemic by one point behind Juventus. And they'd won eight of their previous nine games, I think, drawing the other one. And there was a real sense that Lazio, out of nowhere that season, under Simone Inzaghi, by the way, were a title contender. They were really going to push Juventus all the mm. way. They were playing brilliant football. And then... They came back from that um, forced interruption with COVID. And of course, the context was different that time because it wasn't just a long pause. They came back to empty stadiums. They came back to a completely different world. But Lazio collapsed completely. They they were nowhere near competing for the title in the end when they really looked like they had been ready to do that. And so that example has, has stayed with me. And I've been wondering if that could happen again to someone. Um, I, I agree with you completely about this game against Inter. It, it was not uh, a smash and grab by Inter. Inter, despite giving Napoli the ball, were completely in control of the whole thing. Um, Napoli had one real chance, which is Raspadori in the 90th minute, has a shot that, that hits Anana on the chest. Um, and Inter could have scored a few in the first half. So so it was, it was really striking. And what's funny as well, sort of what you said about Inter and, and that side of it and, and able to play these big games against big teams... I thought it was interesting listening to Francesco Acerbi afterwards saying, look, none of this matters really if we can't beat Monza at the weekend. And thinking to myself, Ooh. what if Inter end up doing not themselves a favour, but Milan, their rivals instead? Yeah, and talking of the laws of physics, by the way, you, you know you threw that question out at me and Andy as if <laughs> we could answer a physics question. <laughs> you know, Could it all happen again? <laughs> yeah, of course. In this universe, it's a question that Arigit uh, is sending back to you on Twitter. By the way, if you want to get in touch with any of us during the course of the week, then feel free to contact us. Tweet us at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Nikki Bandini. So the question from Arigit Nikki is Has Napoli's inevitable meltdown <laughs> started? And who's your money on for Serie A if you know, not Napoli? You know what? Before we get to that, Nicky, what I wanted to say is Arjit's question, I think, feels a lot different today. The second part of it feels a lot different today than it would have yesterday. And not just because the unbeaten record has ended, but you talked about the full slate of games going through yesterday. If you're talking about going out the gate in the way that you expect to continue, we had that first game that will... The, two first games that were happening at the same time. You had uh, Sassuolo-Samp, where Samp got a good result. And then you got Salernitana-Milan uh, at the same time. Milan were out the traps so quickly. And if I had no sense of what the table was, I would just have looked at that and thought, yeah, there we go. There's the defending champions. Because they were so good. Rafael Leao was great and his best. Sandro Tonali was great and his best. Olivier Giroud was almost there. Yeah. And Teo Hernandez was just running around like a headless chicken like the World Cup never happened, which is <laughs> we love to see him in, in that way. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of felt before this that Napoli were the favourites with how well they've played and how far in advance they are. 
I've, I've started to... It's not just the way that, that Napoli played in that game, but the way that Milan played has just given me a little element of doubt for the first time. Do you feel the same? There's definitely a, a lot more, more doubt than there was before. I think even before the break, I was saying, look, it's a big gap, but it's the season is not over. You, you've got so many games left to yeah. play and at the top of the table, you expect the chasing pack to keep winning. So if you do slip up, you're going to get caught. Um, but it certainly feels a bit more um, scary all of a sudden. I, I I do want to push back a bit on this idea that Napoli would just collapse because that's what always happens. I think that it, history doesn't actually work like that. You don't just repeat the same things just because. And, and again, the circumstances are very different. Um, it wasn't just um, Aussie men who got injured last season and that really hurt them. I think that sort of underrated aspect of it was, was Di Lorenzo getting injured as well because he's so good and so sort of steady for them at right back. And and the depth this season is is different. It really is. You've got Raspadori scoring really significant numbers of goals. Ottoman's already been out for a while and they dealt with it just fine. Um, Simeone contributing as well. And you've got in midfield as well, even Ndombele as, as an extra body in there and, and another alternative who, who's got something to contribute. I really feel like this squad is, is much stronger. And I also think it's worth saying that I agree with you that Milan looked brilliant. And yet also Milan, who probably could have been like 4-0 up by this point, concede a goal late on and almost turn it into a wobble. So even Milan yeah. in in their strength were not perfect. And and on balance, I think I would definitely still say that Napoli are my favourites. But has this changed the degree to which I see them as favourites? Definitely. And do I think that if anyone's going to catch them, Milan are the most likely? Yes. Um, Juventus are also part of that picture. They've won seven games in a row somehow, despite being terminally unconvincing. Um, but uh, but for me, it's it's Milan are the, the number one most likely team to, to catch Napoli, even though I think Inter are the team most able to beat anyone on the day. Yeah, the Napoli coach uh, Spalletti says we weren't able to move the ball around with the same quality as usual. I don't know how to say that in Italian, so <laughs> I'll say the rest of it in English as well. Several players weren't up to form, mm. uh, he said. Two things in that. First of all, Inter were tactically brilliant. Um, the way they sort of had Skriniar and, and um, Damian doubling up on Kvaratskhelia was really key to this game, and, and a chair to be really, really great man-marking Osimhen as well. Um, but also I think it was really interesting how Inter framed this game, hearing a chair to be afterwards saying, this was an in-or-out game for us. Like, this was you win or you're not in the title race anymore. So I think that mindset definitely was reflected in the intensity of the two teams. For Inter, this was this was it. Like, you have to win this or, or you are calling it, it over already. But the elephant in the room here is, what about Juve? Mm. How, they're usually contenders at this point. We're usually talking about them, but we're not. We're talking about Milan. We're talking about possibly Inter. We're talking about uh, Napoli, of course, five points ahead at the moment. What about Juve? Where are they? Um, Juventus... Gosh, um, this is a, a topic that could be its own hour-long podcast, I think, what's what's going on at, at a club um, right now. Purely on the footballing side of it, as I just mentioned, they've won seven games in a row. They won 1-0 in their first game back against Cremonese. Cremonese have not won a game yet this season and twice in the first half thought they'd scored the first time disallowed for a marginal offside actually on the replays not that sure the ball crossed the line anyway um the second time I thought was really really soft free kick given against Dessas for some contact on the box with Danilo so they they could have lost this game it felt like but they didn't they won in the 91st minute with a a, a free kick from Minnick a really nice free kick um and continue this run of just scraping wins but it's now seven in a row and they are third in the table off the pitch it's really really sort of serious worrying stuff going on for them um i'm sure lots of people will have heard at least something about this there's been this investigation the prisma investigation um led by the the turin prosecutors and it's got to the point where charges have been levied against them uh, over a, a number of of issues basically relating to how they um wrote up players values on their balance sheets and then also a, a separate um, thread which is uh, the payment of wages to players who renounced wages during the COVID pandemic because they reported and said publicly that players had given up four months worth of wages it's now emerged that actually they gave up one month's worth of wages with a promise that the other three months would be paid back to them either in a loyalty bonus or in bonuses tied to them leaving the club so there's a thread of um, 
financial misreporting, which is relevant legally because Juventus are listed on the um, stock exchange. So if there were misleading financial statements um, made by the club, then that has a knock-on impact for investors. Um, there is um, allegations of false accounting. There's allegations of false invoicing. Serious stuff that has got a legal process it needs to go through, which is the Italian court system, and also has the Italian Football Federation is doing its own inquiry. They already did one into the Pus Valenza, which was the first thread in this investigation earlier in the year. But the new wiretaps that have come out from Prisma have led them to reopen that. And the um, sporting penalties, in theory, depending on what is ruled, I mean, it could be nothing in Juventus. It should be stressed, deny all wrongdoing, but could include fines, could include point penalties. Meanwhile, UEFA have also opened up an investigation because... They're saying if there was false financial reporting, how does that tie into the settlement agreement that you made with UEFA to play in the Champions League? Because they were in breach of financial fair play. They made a settlement agreement and that agreement relies on what's been sent to UEFA, their financial reports they've sent to them. So there are three really big threads to this with sort of nuclear scenarios that could include, again, points, penalties, fines, being kicked out of European competition. Um for now, to stress again, Juventus believe they've done everything above board. They're going to argue their case. These cases are going to play out. There's also the legal part of it. And it's very hard to predict with confidence, especially having seen how unpredictable legal matters can be in Italy sometimes. Um, it's hard to predict with confidence how things will shake out. But at the very least, I think you have to sort of acknowledge the seriousness of some of the stuff that's come out in the wiretaps. Um directors sort of openly acknowledging that they felt like they were on uncomfortable territory risky territory with some of the things that were, were going on and um the fact that the entire board including Andrea Agnelli one year away from the club's centenary stepped down reflects that this is being taken very very seriously because it's a very serious matter um how that impacts them in the short to medium term I expect we'll see no transfer activity coming in this this January at least nothing major is what I would expect um, and I would imagine that lots of players will be reluctant to join them even if they did want to spend the money Small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat, rounded, textured or tall Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Of course, there, there is another European team that was unbeaten uh, before the World Cup, uh, and now they've lost as well, just like Napoli, PSG. Have they got any right to lose to Lance without disrespecting Lance, who are the runners-up for the title race? But given the sort of disparity in economic strength, Andy, it does... I mean, they beat them very... Uh, convincingly, I thought. Yeah, they, they, they did. And I, we'll have to come to Lens in a minute because it's a fantastic story. But we kind of had the clue to this being about to happen, I think. In the first game back, um, the 28th, unseasonally early, so much so that in some areas of France, and, you know, Nicky was saying the clash between what's culturally normal um, in, in the holiday period and... Um, you know, what actually needs to happen because the programme is, is, is so pinched because of the, the, the World Cup. We saw that in, in France coming back on the, the, the 28th of, of December. Nantes Ultras group saying we're not coming to the game because it interferes with our holiday time. So no. <laughs> so that, that, they, had, they had a lot of empty seats for, 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 for their first home game back. It's the exact opposite of in England where it's like a football, yeah. holiday football, bring it on, give me more. I want to play every day. It's very different. And so PSG come back and they, they play that game on the 28th um, at the Parc de France against Strasbourg. Um, Marquinhos scores at both ends. They play very poorly. Neymar get sent off for two bookings in 90 seconds. Now, look, don't even give me that look about, so he was suspended for New Year's Day. Yeah, he was suspended for New Year's Day. What of it? And um, Mbappe scores the winner from the penalty spot in, in stoppage time. So there's already Just about a lot they got going away on there. With it. They did get away with it, and there's a lot going on there already. But it's, it's very rare, actually, going back to that Neymar red card. And, you know, obviously people are interested in the diverging fortunes of um, Mbappe and Neymar as they come back from the, the World Cup. The fact that Neymar was sent off for his, his second yellow card was for simulation. And it was a very poor quality dive. And as, as, as he went off, he didn't even that's complain. That's a six. But normally, normally, that's the thing, isn't it? Normally, when you get sent off or, or you, get, you get a yellow card for diving, you complain. But when you don't complain, I mean, that, that says everything, really. Yeah. So they go up to Lens, which, which was always going to be a tough match because, as you said, Lens are, are fantastic. Second at the winter break, deserve to be the joint highest points total of any second-place team at winter, which given that they, as you say, you talked about economic disparity, which is the case between PSG and everyone. I mean, they've got like the... 13th, 14th budget in, in, the, in the league. So what they've done is every, every, the way they've run the club is, is, is magnificent. It's really magnificent. And as you said, they played PSG off the park. Now we'll come back to the last bit in a minute, but in terms of PSG, clearly they feel there's a bit of a World Cup hangover because Christophe Galtier, the coach, as soon as it's over, he sends... Mbappe and Hakimi off on holiday. So yeah, there, he, they are, there they are in New York City. Yeah, I've, I've been getting chumming this, with the Brooklyn Nets. I've been seeing this on social media mm. with them going out on Times Square watching some rappers do their things and so in mm. masks. Well, at least in in uh, um, scarves or whatever. Yeah. So their face is hidden. Like anybody would recognise them in any case. What? Why was that? Why did? Why would their coach send them off on holiday? mid-season. Well, it's an interesting thing and um, I'm really interested to hear what Nicky has to say on, on this. The fact that, you know, is that you fall off the horse, you get straight back on. You know, you have both Antoine Griezmann in a, a, another context, obviously, for Atletico and Kylian Mbappe coming back from holiday really early and you're thinking, well, that's great that they've got the enthusiasm and, you know, they want to get straight back on with it. 
don't they need a bit of a physical and mental break? And clearly, Christophe Gautier, not a man to be trifled with, not a man to be argued with. And when he says something, it stays said. They said to two of his star players, nope, I need you to have some time off. And they're going to miss the game at the weekend. But he clearly feels it's worth it if they want to get where they're going to be in the if, where they want to be in the Champions League. But they are awaiting the return of the World Cup winner Lionel Messi. And yeah, it's a good time to talk about extending his contract from his perspective, I'd have thought. Yeah, it's, I was just thinking about that, um, sending players off on holiday. And I, I, I wonder, I remember, sorry, um, Dries Mertens when he was at, at Inter saying he reached a point under um, Jose Mourinho where he was feeling a bit burned out. And Jose said to him, go off on holiday and and take a week and then come back. And, and Mertens always says that after that, he came back and he was ready to run through walls for Mourinho, ready to kill for him. So I wonder if that, maybe that's even something that Galtier picked up and, and is is aware of and, and things might help him. But um Messi returning and signing a new contract is is fascinating. Um Andy, I know, is skeptical that if that happens, uh, that there's much chance of PSG winning the Champions League and and I understand the the, the thought on that, the sort of lack of um I always want to call it like a lack of seriousness in that front line, a lack of sort of willingness to to do the the, the hard work. Is that ever going to be a formula that can win you um the Champions League? And and it's a really interesting conversation to me about whether or not you well, I think it is not whether or not, I think there just is a different formula you need to win the World Cup than you do to win the Champions League. I think there's a different kind of football that gets played. And and it sort of all comes back to this interesting idea of because the two projects overlap, right? The Qatar World Cup and a football club owned by Qatar and the Qatar World Cup, which was had the, these two players, Mbappe and Messi, in its final and that branding and that project and wanting to sustain it and and, and push forward that um, that brand makes makes total sense. But um, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm as sceptical as Andy that it's possible to win the Champions League um, with this group. And I think that... Messi still is a player capable of, certainly on an individual level, is capable of being part of a Champions League winning team. You saw how decisive he could be for Argentina. I don't think you are in a position where you can't afford to have a player like that who maybe walks more than he runs sometimes. Um, look at Luka Modric as well, frankly, with, um, with, with Real Madrid, was able to win the Champions League. But whether you can afford to have a whole attack built like this is, is the tricky question, isn't it? Talking of Lons, we shouldn't be so surprised, actually, that they beat PSG because mm. they've only lost to them once, I think, in the last five mm. meetings with them. But how are they doing it, Andy? It's remarkable. Well, there's been a lot of praise for their coach, Franquez, and I think that's quite right because he's been terrific. And you were saying how they didn't steal that win of PSG. I would absolutely agree with that, especially the second half um, where they managed to defend well and counter-attack very decisively. Um, I, I think it's, it's clear how well-coached and well-conditioned they are. On the other hand, the recruitment has, has been fantastic over the last couple of years. And um, the, the fact that they're really going somewhere, I think it's most indicated... Well, in, in terms of the recruitment, you look at uh, Lois Appenda, their striker who really should have played more for Belgium at the World Cup. He was on fire, goal and an assist, brilliant assist for Alexis Claude Maurice after he scored a fantastic goal of his own in the second half. And he's indicative of great recruitment because he is going to be a star going forward. He will be a starter for Belgium. He should have started instead of Michy Batswai in, in, in this World Cup. But I think you look at the other end of it and you look at Sekou Fofana, the captain who could have gone to Burnley last winter and I suspect they would probably still be in the Premier League and not playing such fine football under Vincent Company had Fofana actually gone there. But the fact that he stayed, that the, that they were able to get him to say no to a Premier League offer and then sign an extension to his contract and they celebrated it with great fanfare on the pitch and made a real ceremony of it. It was great. To get a player like that who could play for a bigger club, there's no doubt about it but who's the heartbeat of their team to buy in, to say, this this club is, is is going somewhere. Why don't you stay in him to say, okay, I think is indicative of how well run it is. Now, the issue they have, I suspect in the short to medium term, more medium term, is the fact that uh, Florent Gisolfi 
the sporting director who was in charge of all this terrific recruitment and worked really well with Franquez is um, has now been nicked by Nice because Nice, who at the start of the season had uh, Dave Brailsford of UK Cycling as their kind of de facto sporting director, and that's why they signed. Yeah, exactly that face. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was my face. That, that's, I forgot about that. That's 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 why they signed Casper uh, Schmeichel and Ross Barkley and Aaron Ramsey, who's still not been seen back at Nice, um, haven't been due back on December thirteenth. Um, they clearly needed something a bit smoother upstairs, and so they've not only pinched Gizolfi, but. Um, a couple of his staff as well. So what that means for Lens is they have given greater responsibility, more something more akin to a general manager role to Ez. Whether he can pull that off with the existing staff, we're only going to know over the next window or two. For the moment, they are functioning brilliantly. They are making the most of of their money. They're recruiting well. And you look at Claude Maurice, who struggled a bit at Nice. He showed some good moments, had a great game in this, scored a, a really great goal, linked brilliantly with Appenda. You look at um, other players they've signed from under the radar, like uh, Frankowski, um, Sotoka has had a great start to the season too. Um, how they take it to the next level, I think is a really interesting question. But I mean, if they finish top three, what an incredible season that's been for them. And the way they've played, a bit like Napoli, you wouldn't completely rule it, rule it out despite the expectations or otherwise for them at the, the start of the season. But it's, it's not an overnight success. You know, they were great last season as well and, and they've just built on that. Let's talk about La Liga and it's a tale of three strikers. Um, we'll come, we'll start off with the least celebrated of them and we'll come back to uh, talk about uh, Robert Lewandowski and, of course, uh, Benzema as well. But <laughs> Joao Felix coming to the Premier League. Callum on Instagram asked, will he be successful in the Premier League? Nicky, I'm sure you know about this possible loan deal. Uh, it's looking like either Manchester United or Arsenal uh, at the moment, but one of the most exciting forwards in Europe. What about you? Will he succeed? Yeah, I'm fascinated by this one, Dot, and I've been fascinated by uh, Joao Felix ever since he went to Atletico because it was just such an extraordinary transfer at the time. Not because he wasn't talented and exciting, but the, the value placed on him was still such an overwhelmingly big figure. I mean, there's only two players ever who've, who've commanded bigger fees than, 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 what he, than what Atletico paid to get him when he was a teenager who had his goals in the teens at that point as well. And, and it hasn't turned out to feel like the perfect um, fit there. It's been a slightly sort of odd farewell, it feels like it's building towards, because he actually has been scoring quite um, regularly recently. He had quite a strong World Cup, but clearly the club is making no secret about the fact that they expect him to leave. I mean, you've got the sporting director talking um completely openly about it in a way that I find really odd if you're trying to to get the maximum value from a player why would you be this transparent about the fact that look basically player and manager aren't seeing eye to eye that doesn't seem to help your 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 negotiating position was he ever worth what Mendes said he was worth I mean this feels like one of those deals that was built on the promise of well you sign him for this because it doesn't matter because the fees are going up and up anyway and he's a teenager so you will get more than you, you spent on him I think that question hasn't been resolved I don't think he has shown that he was worth what he was um what he was paid for and, and that's why they won't be able to get the same for him but is he still a talented young player who's shown in flashes that even in a system and with a manager that don't necessarily fit him, he can score goals and, and set up goals? Yes, definitely. And so I'm excited to see him, frankly, anywhere but there because I want to see what he's capable of. I think that's a really interesting point, Nicky, about how he has actually been pretty good in bits despite the obvious tensions with Simeone, which have been simmering for a for a while and that that's why he wants to leave because they're not seeing eye to eye um and because he's he's not consistently getting the game time that he wants you know they've been big a decent world cup though, he, he, he did have a good world cup and that's despite what's happened at atletico now imagine if he was flying at club level what he would have done at the the, the world cup and you know he had some really decisive moments for for portugal he, he comes back starts the first la liga game for atletico against elche 
him and Morata and Griezmann in now that slightly deeper role click really and well. The pink hair and and the pink. Oh, I was hoping to avoid that, but anyway, <laughs> I, I think the the click between him and Morata they had that right at the start of the La Liga season as well. They work really really well together, considering that neither of them were really Simeone's ideal players at the start of the season I think that's quite interesting I think a lot of what Atletico do well these days is despite Simeone rather than because of him and I wonder if that's a little bit in the minds of the club because when you look at this being structured as a loan deal I think there are kind of two sides to this at the moment one the fact that as Nicky touched upon what they can't do at the moment is get their money back he had a he had a good world cup but not a good enough World Cup that makes anyone think, you know what, I'm going to give Atletico back the money that they paid for him or anywhere near. That is not going to happen. So popping him in the Premier League, if he does a good job there, that reinflates his transfer value comfortably. So that's a way of doing it. The other thing is, with it being a loan, do they loan him out? And then maybe Diego Simeone isn't there in six months' time. That is a possibility. That is a possibility that, as we said on on the continent at the World Cup, is something that even Koke, the most Atletico of Atletico players, touched on at the World Cup. He said, you know what? I think Luis Enrique would be a, a good Atletico coach. He's like, wait, what? You're going to come and say something that mutinous <laughs> at a World Cup? Yeah. We asked you at the beginning of this conversation, what are you looking forward to in 2023? And you didn't even mention Atletico possibly having a new coach. Yeah, I just should have said more psychodrama because obviously that covers this, PSG, everything. Yeah. Talking of psychodrama, Benzema is back and he seems to be angry or seems to have a point to make in La Liga. Do you want to go with that, Andy, first of all? Yeah, I think it's fascinating because he scores twice, so gets them over the line in a very difficult game at Valladolid um, in, in the first La Liga game back. He looks fit. He looks motivated and he looks a bit mad, as, as, as you say, because, of course, he thought that France sent him home. Mad as in too, angry. Yeah, yes. He thought that France sent him home too early from the, the World Cup. There's been a bit of pushback between his team and the France medical team and Didier Deschamps. And the, the two have never really seen eye to eye. Straight after the World Cup, he quits international football. And if we think of the last striker Nicky who was really fueled by rage in a La Liga season Luis Suarez and everyone just had to get out of the way now I know they're different players different personalities but players deep in their 30s who are like right I'm gonna show you I think there is a bit of Suarez to this yeah well I, I could add another one for you Andy from Serie A because I've always got a Serie A example up my sleeve but Samuel Eto'o when he went from from Barcelona to, to Inter <laughs> he had his he had his point ready to prove didn't he and, and yes. went ahead and, and won the treble and, and did it playing football he hadn't played before being unselfish and, and, and filling in as a fullback when he had to so I think um, there's definitely something in that idea that, that rage can fuel a striker I, I find it in this case a little bit ridiculous because I mean did Benzema really think that they might pull him back in and, and let him play the final after not playing previous in the tournament all those ideas that got thrown out during the World Cup but it doesn't matter what I think because in the end those those fires as you talk about Andy they're all internal they're all about what the player thinks in their own head so interesting idea and and, and wouldn't it be something if you're right but I just wonder whether you think that Benzema, when Andy says that he retired from international football straight after the World Cup, whether you think it's one of those David Bowie retirements, you know, when Bowie said, I'm retiring from playing live music now, and that was about 1973, and look what happened afterwards, <laughs> you know what I mean? Do, how many comebacks do you think Benzema might make into international football? Yeah, well... You know? It's got, it's got I, to cross I think, his mind. I, I, think, I think no, because... His whole France career has just been a whole series of false starts. I think that's really is that because the issue of here. Didier Deschamps, or it's even not, it's despite not, it's not just because yeah. of Didier Deschamps, but um, I think it, all the off-field stuff suited Deschamps because it allowed him to have a credible reason for not picking Benzema, and you saw how hard it was to fit him back into the team during um, the Euros last year. Um, well, last year, but one actually, we should say now, shouldn't we? Because we're in 2023. And 
it felt that France were a smoother moving machine with, without him in this World Cup, despite the fact that he's the reigning Ballon d'Or. The numbers are pretty underwhelming, I think, as well. And it's not just about the numbers, but the numbers are pretty underwhelming for a guy of that much talent. And, you know, Benzema is as big as talent gets. You know, there's no doubt about that. I think it will be a relief to all parties to, to move on from it, to be honest. Uh, Nicky, you said, and I'm going to test you now, you, you said that you always have a La Liga Serie A anecdote up your sleeve. <laughs> what about with regards to the third of our strikers when we focus on La Liga, uh, which is Robert Lewandowski? How are you going to link him with Serie A? <laughs> that's, that's a good one, Dot, and I'm not sure if I actually have got one that's quite analogous to that because you're talking about Lewandowski um, having his suspensions sort of challenged by a, a separate court and therefore playing and 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 creating a, a a really difficult situation for the league where you've got contradicting power bases deciding whether or not a player should be suspended i can't think of anything quite like that one and uh, uh, yeah, I'm, you you might have got me on that one. What in Italy? You can't think of it. Can't <laughs> I, think of anything I, I, like I can't believe that. You've asked administrative chaos. Yeah. You've got no Italian well, example. I have got something, but it's a bit different, which is well, actually what the, came into my head. I'll give you something, Dutton. I'll give you something, which is <laughs> what you. came into my head thinking about it was actually with the COVID chaos of, of recent years, um, when you had competing health authorities giving different messages. So, for instance, Napoli being told by Serie A, you should go and play a game and, and authorities in, in one health district of Naples saying, yes, it's OK to travel and play a game. But authorities in another health district saying, nope, you're simply, you've had too many positive COVID tests, you've had close contact, everyone needs to stay home. And then you had these surreal ghost games in Serie A where one team would show up and one team wouldn't. It happened with Bologna as well for a home game where... One team shows up, the other one doesn't. The referee walks out and gets everyone to um, pretend like they're about to start a game even though the other team isn't there. And then the game gets initially awarded to the team that was present but then gets overturned and replayed anyway. So that's the closest I can give you, but it's not quite analogous. Well, yeah, that's the point, isn't it, Andy? If you're an Espanol fan or even part of their squad or the club... You're going to say, look, thank you very much, Nikki. That was a close example. But it's nothing like <laughs> what we went through. Do you mind just explaining the fullness of this? Because Lewandowski was suspended and then he wasn't suspended and he got to play a match in which he was potentially still suspended. Yeah, so before the Barcelona derby against Espanyol, Barca appealed, said he shouldn't have to have his three-match suspension. It's excessive. And when it was provisionally lifted... Espanyol went absolutely nuts and they didn't send a board delegation to the game in protest. Now, there was so much other refereeing stuff that went on and we all remember Antonio Mateo who had quite a World Cup, let's say. It's something that um, Sid Lowe's, the excellent Sid Lowe's written about extensively in The, in, in the Guardian. And um, he uh, went absolutely card crazy um, there was one One of the red cards was rescinded. One of the red cards was for Xavi and two actually on pitch one stood in, in, in that game. But if they hadn't had uh, Alvaro, the um, Espanol goalkeeper, made a couple of great saves from Lewandowski at the end. And if he hadn't, like all hell would have broken loose. The fact that the guy who was meant to be suspended played both of those games, especially as the Court of Arbitration have now decided that um, actually the the appeal was without merit and Robert Lewandowski will be suspended for three games. So he won't be playing against the Atletico at the weekend. And there was never any merit to it. With the World Cup over, guys, it's time to welcome you back to, well, what we do on a weekly basis here on, on the continent, which is to ask both of you uh, for a recommendation of a game uh, that listeners can enjoy this weekend, but also to put a food uh, recommendation with it so we can have something to munch on at halftime. Andy, do you want to go first? I'm going to go for Sunday night. Um, Atletico versus Barcelona. Robert Lewandowski won't be there, <laughs> but we will be, in spirit at least. It's also on terrestrial television. It's on ITV4 if you're in the UK, which is which is really nice. Um I think it's, it's, it's so interesting because with Barcelona, obviously they're level on points with Real Madrid at the top now. Um, they will be aiming to go there and and get a result. They 
had this scrape with uh, a, a third division team, Intercity, in the Copa del Rey this week, but they had to go to extra time to to beat them, which was extraordinary. Even though Xavi said at the end of it, oh, but we played well. But you conceded three goals to a <laughs> team that's in the third tier. So um, I, I, I think that's interesting. Atletico, and we talked about various psychodramas, you look at them, Will Joao Felix be there or not? Well, he wasn't in the squad for the, the Copper game against Oviedo in the week. Will he be loaned by then? He might be. Um, what will Rodrigo de Paul's role be? Because when you had him and Noel Molina and uh, Angel Correa on the pitch at the first game against Elche, showing off their World Cup medals, de Paul actually got booed by the home fans. Um, so that, that's interesting. He's got to find form for Atleti that, that he hasn't yet. Um, there's, there's, there's so much going on there on, on every level. This is going to be absolutely fascinating. And because it's a bit of everything, it's a bit of a cop-out, but we're going to have to go tapas. So, look, you fry those gambas for me. You make those patatas bravas for me. <laughs> and treat yourself like... to some albondigas. Some meatballs while you're about it. Why not? Why not? I'll, I'll be staging a protest that um, Robert <laughs> Lewandowski is not there. But <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, do you have a recommendation and a food pairing to go with it? First? Of course I do. And um, of course, it's at exactly the same time as Andy's. It's uh, another Sunday nighter. Uh, Milan against Roma. Um, obviously, we've just been talking about earlier in the show about Milan and and seeing them as as the the team most likely to to challenge. Um, Napoli for the Scudetto. Roma, of course, it's Jose Mourinho. They've just started their their year with a win against Bologna. And there's a bit of previous as well between, um, I guess, Mourinho's Roma and Pioli's Milan. In in the the last game, Mourinho was in classic form, raging about a referee and and asking to be shown, asking for the referee to come and show him the video of, of exactly where the penalty given against his team came from. So there's all sorts of the usual Mourinho nonsense going on. And because it's really the middle of winter right now, we've all just had a big sort of overly rich Christmas dinner and we've all eaten too much. I'm thinking about just a simple Milanese minestrone. Minestrone is a bit different everywhere in the country, but hearty soup with some rice in. In Milan, they tend to put a little bit, just a little bit of pork in there with the beans and the veggies as well. That sounds like it would hit the spot on Sunday night. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.